today we'll speak about preparing oneself for <coughs> training. And this depends on one on you having a sufficient appetite already. Now that <clears throat> you have an adequate appetite, let's prepare for for continuing further or progressing further. The first word that we need to talk about is the meaning of the word in Thai Siksa, which in English can be is often translated study or education. But the proper way to translate it is quite difficult, so we'd like to discuss this a little bit. This <clears throat> word Siksa in Thai comes from an old Indian word, which in Sanskrit is pronounced Siksha, or in the Pali language, Sikha. And we preferred to use this in the original Indian meaning rather than in the modern day Thai meaning. Sikha or Siksa means to look inside. It look means especially to look inside oneself, to look inside oneself by oneself, to do the looking oneself, not to ask someone else to do it for us. So to look inside oneself by oneself until understanding oneself, and then to practice according to the things we have realized within ourselves. So for us this word siksa is to look inside oneself by oneself in order to understand oneself and then use that understanding as a basis for further practice and, act and action. Now for many people this word is to is understood too narrowly, often to mean just practicing, kind of training, studying, practicing. And so for many people it doesn't include looking inside oneself and seeing oneself by oneself. And so the practice of such people isn't, isn't complete or exactly correct. So we encourage you to, to make this correct from the very start, to begin by with looking inside oneself so that one sees and understands oneself by oneself and then only to practice according to this, the understanding that arises from looking inside oneself. Further, we can distinguish three levels of siksa, or three stages. The first stage is the learning of the kind we do in a school, reading books and hearing teachers and things like that. 
This is the first level of siksa. The next level is the actual training, putting knowledge and everything into practice. And then the third stage is to experience the results of the training, having practiced things to taste and experience the results directly by ourselves. All three of these are aspects or stages of the word siksa. To have read lots of books or gone to university is not yet what we call siksa, although it's called these days education. It's necessary to take what one has learned and put it into practice to apply it, to train with it. But still, that isn't sufficient. We must also experience or taste for ourselves the results of the training and, ex and practice. Only then is siksa complete. In Buddhism, in Buddhism, when we have looked within ourselves, by ourselves, and then seen what's going on in there, and then this understanding of having seen some truth within oneself leads then to practice. And this practice or training in Buddhism can be divided once again into three three aspects. These three aspects then of training in Buddhism are called sila, which is morality, samati, which we can say is meditation, and panya, which is the spiritual training directly, the training in wisdom and understanding. Sila or morality is specifically about correct behavior in body and speech. Then samadhi is about developing and training the mind. And then, or so this is the mental level of training. And then last is the spiritual level of training, which is the training of awareness, and the training of understanding. So these three, morality, meditation, and wisdom, these three together are make up a complete training. We can't have just part of it. All three aspects are necessary. The essence of all this training in Buddhism is to abandon or to throw away all attachments to anything as being I or mine, as to abandon all attachment to things as self. This is the essence and the goal of Buddhist training. So therefore we should learn about we should learn and study about this non-attachment, about not attaching and letting go. 
then we should train in this, we should put it into practice, learn, experiment, investigate how to do it. And then most of all, we must experience the results of letting go, experience the, the taste of non-attachment. Our training must focus on these three aspects of letting go, learning what it is, putting it into practice, and experiencing the results of having let go. So now we'll talk about preparing oneself for this siksa, getting oneself absolute, getting oneself as ready as possible in the best way for siksa. The first thing that we need is a disciplinary system. We need a set of proper disciplinary rules to train by, to restrain ourselves. For example, to not smoke cigarettes, to not go wandering about laughing and joking and making all kinds of noise, to put aside all interest in the opposite sex, to not get caught up in flirting and making eyes and things like this, to not overeat, to not, to not oversleep, or spend one's time taking it easy all, all the time, to have these restraints and limits are the first, first requirement for getting oneself ready for siksa. For example, we're quite quite happy to to use this early early morning time before dawn as an excellent period for for siksa. We're very happy because our tendency is to want to sleep, to sleep in or sleep late. And so we're happy to wake up early, to get up early before dawn and use this time in order for siksa. This is a very special time of the day. You ought to know that the Buddha was enlightened at, at this time, before the early morning time, before dawn. And so this is one way of disciplining ourselves to make us ready for siksa. The next thing to get ready is that we must be delighted with we wake or solitude. This word we wake or we wake up literally means utmost oneness, to be completely alone, to com be completely on one's own. And this is an important preparation to be satisfied to be really happy when one is on one's own, when one is no longer disturbed or caught up in any of the social business or the talking or any of that stuff. So we need to be willing to let go of all of our habits of socializing and chatting and, and all these kind of things. To let go of or leave aside 
all our ties and bonds to to the world in order that we can live in a in a solitude, in a peacefulness, in a quietness. There's an old saying that we will temporarily close the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body sense in order to find, in order that the mind may find we wake up or may find this solitude. It temporarily will close off the, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body so that the mind can dwell in a solitude, in a quietness. Next <clears throat> is a kind of preparation so that we won't feel any loneliness, any fear, or any of that. The way to prepare ourselves in this way is to train in the four Brahma-vihara, or the four dwellings of the gods. These are, the first is to train in metta, friendliness, to develop a feeling of friendliness towards all living things. And then karuna, compassion, which is the attitude or the, the desire to help all living things. And then mudita, which is to be happy at the success and joy of others rather than to be envious or spiteful. And then ubeka, which is to be able to watch over, looking for an opportunity to help to develop these four Brahma-vihara will prepare us so that we won't be lonely in the solitude and so that we won't feel any fear even if we go off to practice alone deep in the forest. We, we will overcome fear by training in these four Brahma-viharas or divine, divine dwellings. Even if we're living in a center like this where there are many people, it's still important to train these four Brahma-viharas. In the old Pali, it says that one radiates the mind in all directions according to the meanings of metta, garuna, mudita, and ubeka to using these four meanings or attitudes to radiate the mind in all directions with sometimes with friendliness, other times with compassion, the desire to help, other times with mudita, the joy at, at this well-being and success of others, and then ubeka, the being able to watch over waiting for an opportunity to help. This is important, an important preparation for meditation, even in a center where there are many people. The next thing we need is what we can call patience and endurance. There's a slight difference between 
the two words. Patience is to be able to to have a mind that is calm enough to to get along with things, to to put up with things. Endurance is more of a, a strength to also for dealing with difficulties that come along the way. We need both this patience and this endurance to to get by with difficulties and all the hardships that may arise in our training. This is something which we must prepare also. Next is that we must <clears throat> we must have the right attitude towards our practice. This means we have to have the right frame of mind for practice, which means that we don't practice with desire. It can be very dangerous to set about our practice with foolish desires, wanting to get things or have things or become things. This can lead to a lot of trouble. Instead, we need right aspiration, which instead of being desire to get or to have, or become something, or even to get rid of, is an understanding of what is right, and just the wanting to do what is right, trying to do what is right. With this right aspiration, <clears throat> our mind will be in the right frame or the right state. This also means not being full of crazy hopes and wishes. Sometimes people are kind of hoping for magical experiences or all kinds of things. It's important to have right aspiration. This is to have a balanced um, appetite. To have a correct and balanced appetite is this right aspiration, which is not desire, nor is it crazy hopes and dreams. It's very important that our appetite is sufficient and adequate. This means that it's balanced. It's neither too much nor too little. Sometimes people talk about being zealous, but this is too much. This is too strong. It gets carried away. So zealousness is, is, not, is more than adequate. It's too much. It's excessive. And then others have just kind of an interest or maybe a little curiosity or something. And this, this isn't enough either. This is, this is not adequate. It's too little. We need to have a genuine appetite, but one that is balanced in order for our meditation to, to happen. It's just as if we tried to catch and hold a tiny bird. If we do so too strongly, we'll crush the bird in our hand, and then we just have this mess of bones and blood. Or if we hold it too loosely, it can fly away, it can escape through our fingers. So we need this balance, where, which is like holding a small bird in one's hand neither too much, too strong, 
nor too weak, too loose. This is what we call the middle way or the, the middle way of practice, to, which is to not practice with defilements, with greed, anger, fear, worry, or any of these, or any kind of confusion, but instead is to practice, to train with mindfulness and correct understanding. In this appetite <coughs> for practice and for meditation, we need to have a proper aspiration or intention to practice. And this means there needs to be a, a, a kind of joy or a satisfaction in meditation. Some people talk about rapture. They talk about needing one, a kind of excited energy. They want to put very, they use this word rapture or a lot of, they talk about joy. And they're, they're talking about a very excited kind of thing, and this is too much. The word contentment is much better. There should be a balanced, calm contentment regarding practice and meditation. It should neither be excited, nor should it be flat and dull. But there's a, a calm contentment regarding with this kind of intention our practice can be balanced can follow the middle way and what's also important is that we establish the mind properly from the very start this means to not be practicing for the sake of me and mine the proper establishing of our mind is to instead of doing everything for me, for mine, for ego, for self, to be practicing for the sake of destroying me and mine, for overcoming and abandoning ego and the self. If there is some sense of a self, then this at least should be a self that is understood to be not really a self. What we mean is, if one is, there seems to be a self or a me who is practicing, then we should at least not attach to this self as me, as mine, as my ego, my soul, or any of that. So although there may be some sense, there may seem to be a self here that's practicing, to be very careful not to be deluded into attaching to that self as being real or being absolute or ultimate. If our mind is established in this way so that there is contentment not with myself as seen egoistically, not a kind of egoistic contentment or self-satisfaction, but a contentment or satisfaction with this self that is not a self. This means being content with this life that is training and practicing properly, but not turning this into self-satisfaction.
Last, it's important that we have a final goal that is correct and wise. In ordinary language, the way that the material way that people usually speak, final goal has a certain kind of, has one kind of meaning. But in Buddhism, especially in the spiritual understanding of Buddhism, the words final goal have a very specific and clear meaning. It means to be above the world. The final goal is to have a mind that is above the world. In Buddhism, to be above the world means voidness. Voidness, or sometimes it's translated emptiness, in Pali is sunyata. Sunyata means voidness. This is a state or a reality that has no dimensions, it has no limits, no boundaries. It's, you can't even say it's infinite, it's just voidness. Some people are afraid of this. They think it's frightening or they think it means death or they misunderstand it to be a nothingness. But voidness is simply the state of being void, completely empty and free of I and mind. This is what voidness is. And this voidness is to be above the world, to be above all the problems connected to or involved with the world. Now there are many people who misunderstand voidness. They turn it into a kind of nihilism. They don't understand what void means and they think it means nothing. Void doesn't mean nothing. There is something Voidness is a reality, but in this voidness there is complete freedom from self and anything belonging to or associated or connected to self. Now, for people who believe very strongly in self and soul, this may sound like nothing, but that's only to the very ego-centered perspective. But the mind that is above the ego sees that voidness, the state of being free, void of I and mind, is not a nothingness. But to, to see that this is a state that is above the world and the world's problems. If there is any attachment if the mind is holding on to anything as I or mine, then there's no voidness. And then the mind will be caught up in the world and all kinds of problems. If there's any kind of attaching to, grasping at, clinging to, if there's any of this, then there's no voidness. But when the mind is free of all this, then it is void of all I in mind. <clears throat> we have three words that express the qualities or the nature 
of this voidness. These words are clean, clear, and calm. This voidness is clean or it's, it's pure. It has nothing dirty or, or foul about it. It's clear. In this voidness there is knowing, there is awareness, there is understanding, there's this clarity. And it's calm, it's, it's peaceful. These three characteristics of voidness help you to, to see what, it is, what it's like. This is the mind or the reality that is above the world. It's cleanness, clarity, and calm. In our practice, then, we need, need to aim for these three things. We need to see their importance and develop an appetite for these, these three qualities. And if we practice in this direction, if we aim in this direction, then our practice in our life will steadily move towards these things. It will become very natural to move in the direction of this cleanliness, clarity, and calm. And at the same time, we will taste the flavor of voidness more or less as we go along. To whatever degree that there is voidness, whether more or less complete, more or less lasting, to whatever degree of voidness arises during our practice, then we experience that. We have a taste of this cleanliness, clarity, and calm. And this gives us this more strength and inspiration for continuing our practice as we, through tasting this voidness, we have a, a clearer sense of what it's about and we have a, a deeper understanding of where we're going. And so this, we will naturally experience and taste this voidness more and more as we go along. And so in this way, as we've been talking about today, we are well prepared and ready for meditation from the start all the way to the finish. Let's review these necessary preparations. The first is to have a disciplinary system. Second is to be content with solitude, with quiet. Third is to, to have a proper frame of mind that is free of fear, loneliness, and so on by learning to radiate friendliness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And then training, developing patience and endurance. And then a balanced or <laughs> a balanced or sufficient appetite, one that's not excited and overzealous, but is has enough strength and contentment in what one's doing not for the sake of, of ego, but in order to kill ego. And then in order to 
be above the world with a mind for the sake of cleanliness, clarity, and calm. <coughs> so please remember these things, even if at first it's just theory. You should understand without the correct theory or, or map, then the practice will never be correct. So please understand these things so that we prepare ourselves correctly. And then this will help us to come to understand the secret of life, that whenever there is, that life becomes heavy, becomes burdensome, whenever there is ego, whenever there's any attachment to things as I and mine. And so the secret of life is to toss aside, to drop all attachment to I and mine, to let go of all sense of ego, self, and soul. So in one moment, we take this body, this form, to be self, to be the ego. Another time, another moment, we take feeling, whether of pleasure or displeasure, to be, to be ego, <clears throat> to be the self. Sometimes we take our perceptions, the labels we give to things, to be self. Sometimes it's our thoughts, our emotions are clung to as being I. And then sometimes it's just the basic sense consciousness, the basic knowing or consciousness of objects in the world. We're attaching to one or the other of these five khandhas becomes heavy, becomes a burden. This is how we turn life into a heavy burden. <clears throat> and so the, the goal of this practice, the essence of meditation, is to drop all of those burdens, to just toss them aside throw them away so there's no more being burdened or oppressed by these egos or these different attempts to grasp at ego anymore. In theory, this is what this practice is all about. It remains for you to put this theory into practice in order to experience it yourself. Once one has abandoned the old burdens, please don't go and grab up new ones. It's so easy in this world to pick up new attachments. There are so many things to just waiting to be grabbed onto. But once one is let go of one thing, be very careful not to go and pick something else, else up in its place. And so be very careful of this, this world. This world is, is full of progress in things that become heavy, become burdensome for us. This world is developing all these burdens for us to grab onto. So be very, very careful of this world. And then so we ask, have to ask, well, who carries all these burdens? And of course, the answer is the ego, the self. 
It's this stupid ego that carries all these burdens around, that feels all this weight. So why don't we just drop the ego, let go of the ego, pull the rug out from under it or whatever. This, this voidness of this ego, this is what Buddhism takes as its eternal goal. The aim of Buddhism is eternal voidness. Now, of course, there are other religions or other ideologies that take the eternal self as their goal. This is probably appropriate for certain groups on certain levels, that it would be appropriate to seek the eternal self. But in Buddhism, what we're looking for is eternal voidness, the complete and total freedom from self. We can interpret the word God in two ways. We can interpret God as being the eternal voidness, or we can interpret God as being the eternal self, as is most often done. But the correct meaning of God, the, the, mo the highest, most profound way to interpret God is as being the eternal voidness. So please check into this carefully and find the correct meaning and practice accordingly. And so we hope that you see the aim behind all this preparation. And by seeing the, the purpose of the practice, then you'll see the value of, of proper preparation. And so then you won't overlook getting ready, and you'll appreciate the necessity and value of the disciplinary rules of solitude and so on. So today we've had a chance to talk about getting ready for practice, for once we have the appetite for practice, then getting ready for it. And tomorrow we'll speak about the practice itself. So that, that's enough for today. Thank you for being good listeners, and we'll end at this time. <laughs>